follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are a visionary. You have a vision. You just need to create it and bring it to life. Welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with your host, Kate Ebner. Our program will be an hour of inspiration from leaders who are making their visions happen and will set you on the path to having a big impact through your leadership and the life you really want. Now here's your host, Kate Ebner. Good morning and welcome to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. I'm your host, Kate Ebner, founder and principal at the Nebo Company. And I have to tell you how very delighted I am to welcome Sharon Salzberg as my guest today. Sharon is known all over the world as uh, one of the great meditation teachers and writers about meditation practice of our time. She's the co-founder of the Insight Meditation Society in Barrie, Massachusetts. She's addressed audiences at the State of the World Forum, the Peacemakers Conference, where she shared a panel with His Holiness the Dalai Lama, and she's delivered keynotes at the Yoga Journal, Kripalu, Omega Conferences. Um, I heard her myself at a conference for women at the National Cathedral some years ago. Um, Sharon was selected to attend the Gesmani Encounter, a dialogue on spiritual life between Buddhist and Christian leaders that included His Holiness the Dalai Lama. She is an excellent writer, a thoughtful writer who regularly contributes to the Huffington Post. She's appeared as a contributing editor at O Magazine, Time Magazine, Real Simple, and many other publications. Um, she has many books out, and I'm happy in our newsletter to share which ones are my personal favorites. Um, but today, we're going to be talking about Sharon's latest book. It was just published this month, and we're going to be talking about uh, this this idea in the context of the workplace. Her book is called Real Happiness at Work, Meditations for Accomplishment, Achievement, and Peace. Sharon, welcome to our show. Thank you so much. You know, Sharon, um, I gave you kind of a big build-up here. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. But, uh, <laughs> but I, I, I feel like I, I really have um, uh, come to appreciate the not only the, the meditation teaching that you do, but the way that you have shared your perspective about your, your life, um, how you came into meditation, and how you became really the teacher you are today. And I know how much um, I've, I've learned from you, and I'd love it if before we dive into the great ideas in the book, you could tell us a little bit more, for those who may not know you as, as well as I do, about your background. How did you um, find the path to meditation? Well, actually, I was a university student um, in uh, the late 60s, early 70s, and in my sophomore year, I took a course in Asian philosophy, and that was, honestly, as I look back, it seemed like kind of happenstance, like I had a philosophy requirement, and I looked at the schedule, and I thought, hmm, that's on Tuesday, that's convenient, let me do that one, <laughs> uh, and it completely changed my life, and 
um, there were a couple of things about that course, which was really kind of a course in Buddhism, that was so affecting me. One was what seemed to me to be the Buddha's very unafraid, unashamed acknowledgement of the suffering in life. Uh, and like many people, I'd come from a very uh, traumatic childhood. And like for many people, it was mine was a family system where this was never, ever really spoken about. And so I didn't know what to do with all of those feelings inside of me. And here was somebody saying right out loud, it's not just you. You don't have to feel isolated. You don't have to feel so alone. And this is a part of life. And then what I heard in that course was that you could actually do something about the suffering in life, not to make it all, you know, pleasant and lovely, uh, too bad, but we can't do that. But we can radically change our relationship to everything. We can experience pleasure in a different way so we're not so distracted. We can experience pain in a different way so we don't feel so alone. And I heard that there existed somewhere, uh, supposedly, these very practical tools that were called meditation, and that if you practiced meditation, you could have that kind of changed relationship to your life. So the university I was going to also had an independent study program, and I created a project. I said, I want to go to India and study meditation. So uh, they said, okay, and in 1970, I left for what was in effect my junior year abroad, and I found uh, a teacher in a setting that was very practical and uh, non-sectarian, and so on, uh, by January of 1971. Well, I know you've written about that journey, and um, I'm trying to think, what are the titles of the books? What, what is the book where you really talk about that? Is that the first book you wrote? That, that's Faith. That's Faith. Yeah. And, you know, I, it's it's an amazing story that continues, but, you know, I heard you saying today that you had this uh, startled kind of moment where you realized that you weren't alone in uh-huh. your suffering and that you, and, and I also heard you say that, you know, you began to realize that we can radically shift our relationship to everything in our lives, which is um, such a big possibility to take in, especially if you're feeling stuck or um, kind of flatlined with, with the, the moment that you're in. Um, I'm curious about um, why, Sharon, you've decided to bring your wisdom and your teaching to the workplace, to the topic of real happiness at work. I had a book that came out just just about two years ago, um, exactly, uh, called Real Happiness, which was, uh, the full title is Real Happiness, The Power of Meditation, a 28-Day Program, and it was designed to be a 28-Day Program where you could either establish for the first time or, or help reinforce a meditation practice, and I had a lot of people, um, we did a a challenge in February, which conveniently had 28 days, uh, on my website where we invited people to blog or comment and talk about their experience, and we asked people, please be really honest. Unless it Mm -hmm. actually happens, please don't say, I sat down for two and a half seconds and floated away in a sea of bliss. Uh, (laughs) And so people were really honest, which was wonderful, and talked about the challenges and um, the openings and the ways that meditation was affecting their lives. It was a beautiful uh, experience, and it created a, a lovely community. And one of the things I noticed was the very wide range of occupations that were uh, blogging and, and commenting on my site. We had firefighters and an undercover policewoman and special ed teachers and hospice nurses and hedge fund managers and CEOs and professors, and I mean, there was just such a huge range. 
there was such a huge range of different kinds of occupations that were presenting them, you know, themselves as these people chose to explore meditation as something to bring into their lives. And, and I was very touched by that and very inspired by that. And I also noticed that of the many arenas of life that people were talking about, work, where everyone was working, seemed to be an area of, of tremendous challenge. And so that's really what led me to explore the topic. Well, I'm I'm very glad you did, and and I also, you know, was just about to ask you. So, who is meditating these days? And I think you answered that question. It sounds like everybody is, or all kinds of people from all walks of life are really drawn to to this mindfulness practice. Um, you know, the the the. I'm curious a little bit because I think that um, you know, for some people, this just is magnetic, and it feels like something that we, we crave and we need. And certainly in the work I do as a leadership coach, my clients are often wanting to explore meditation. But not everybody may, may understand what meditation is or what it offers. Do you think you could just say a couple words about what it means to practice meditation or what it, you know, what it could mean? Sure. I mean, it is true that um, uh, largely I think because of the research and the science is a very different kind of yearning or interest in, in practicing meditation. When I first came back from India, which was 1974, as a teacher, if I'd be at a party or some social situation, people would often ask me what I did, and I'd say, I teach meditation. They would go, ooh, you know, that's weird. Uh, and it's very mm-hmm. different now. I see meditation as a skills training. It's really mental training, the way we can choose uh, if we want to train our bodies. It's a training in concentration in mindfulness and in qualities like compassion. And there's some very direct practical tools to strengthen strengthen these qualities in us. You know, it's it's a very practical the way you just said that, you know, thinking of it as as a as a skill training. Um and something that um is about it sounds like almost training yourself to be um awake and and alive in the moment in ways that are very helpful to yourself and to others um, and really just have that experience of being fully present. And, you know, one one other question that um, we really want to ask you here at NEBO, we've been wondering about the title of your book and this idea of real happiness at work. It almost seems like an oxymoron to some people, um, real happiness at work, which is... Um, kind of a funny thing, but I wonder um, if you ever hear people object to this idea of being happy at work, whether people believe that's possible or even desirable in the workplace. What we sometimes see is kind of that work hard, play hard polarity where people believe that um, to be successful, they have to work hard and even suffer in their work. And so I'm curious about the reaction that you get and and why you believe that happiness at work is, is so important. Even the title of my previous book, Real Happiness, kind of got me into trouble in some ways because <laughs> so many times people equate happiness with superficiality and uh, self-absorption and just endlessly seeking pleasure and being kind of happy-go-lucky. And uh, I, I'm urging in a way, I'm almost inviting a, a rethinking of the word happiness because I see it more as a kind of inner resourcefulness, a sense of sufficiency, or, or even a sense of inner abundance. If we think about how tired we can get and depleted and feeling overcome, if your work deals directly with people who are struggling and, 
or in tr- seemingly intractable systems or even just the mountains that pile up that need to get done, uh, we can really burn out. And I would see the opposite of that as some sense of inner resourcefulness. It's like a kind of a sufficiency that creates resiliency so that uh, we, we feel not absolutely defined by our work or by a struggle, uh, but we have a bigger picture. And, and that's actually what keeps us going. It's not selfish. It's not superficial. It's really very important. And to, to think about bringing that to our work life is, is kind of doubly unusual. Uh, the book just came out January 1st, so it's really new. And even so, uh, I've had a lot of comments like, that's why we call it work. <laughs> We're not supposed to be happy. We don't <laughs> exactly. call it play. Yeah. Well, you know, I, um, I th- I've, I've been thinking a lot about the title, actually, since, um, since receiving the book in my hands and, and reading it and thinking about it. And, and I've really been reflecting on the way that um, our culture seems to um, believe that, that suffering, and suffering through hard work is how one achieves success. And so in many ways, as I read your book, I found it to be an invitation to rethink success and rethink um, what's, po- what's possible to gain from the experience of working. Does that ring true with your intention as you wrote it? I think very much so. And uh, There are two predictors of uh, real happiness at work. Um, that are the strongest or the clearest. One is a sense of meaning, and the meaning very often doesn't come from the job description. It comes from what we bring to the job. And the other is a sense of community. It's the quality of communication we might have with colleagues and and so on. And if you look at that, it's really, it's kind of the predictors of happiness anywhere, you know, that, that we have a certain sense of connection uh, to something within ourselves and a bigger picture of what we're doing. And, and again, it can be, uh, you know, conventionally seen as a, a somewhat trivial task or, a, you know, not, not a job with a great deal of status, but we can find meaning within it. We can bring meaning to it, how we relate to everyone we encounter and, and uh, the goodness we're trying to foster and so on. Well, to me, this begins to be, I think, what you were referring to at the beginning of our conversation about the idea that we can radically shift our relationship to everything, including our relationship to work and how we experience it. Um, Sharon, we're going to take a break right now, but when we come back, I'm really excited to, to kind of dig into these ideas. Um, for those listening, I'm speaking with Sharon Salzberg. She's the author of Real Happiness at Work, Meditations for Accomplishment, Achievement, and Peace. This is Kate Ebner. We'll be right back. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. 
Do you need directions to solid financial future? If so, the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with a roadmap to making smart money decisions in every area of your personal finances. Join Jordan every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time, 3 p.m. Eastern for the Money Answers Show on the Voice America Business Channel. Learn how and where to get the best deals on mortgages, cars, and insurance. Find out the best ways to save for college and retirement. Get out of debt, improve your credit rating, and save on your taxes. The Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman will provide you with great tips on investment opportunities in real estate, stocks, annuities, and other investment vehicles. That's the Money Answers Show with Jordan Goodman on the Voice America Business Channel every Monday at 12 p.m. Pacific Standard Time. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Hi, and welcome back. It's Kate Ebner, and I'm speaking today with Sharon Salzberg, a widely known and very highly respected teacher of meditation. She is the author of a new book called Real Happiness at Work, and we've been talking about that book in our first segment and really exploring, um, first of all, this kind of controversial idea that you really can be happy at work. And um, Sharon, in the introduction to this book, you introduced this idea of five core meditations that are the basis of all the meditations in the book. Could you just explain for us, what are those five core meditations? I think that if we um, want to establish a meditation practice, uh, there are just certain aspects of meditation that really taken together form uh, like a big picture of, of meditation. And uh, they include that training and concentration, training and mindfulness, and actually a training in compassion. And for those of us in the West, the idea of training and compassion especially can seem a little weird, uh, something cold and mechanistic, but they're all about training attention. And, you know, we believe that compassion is almost like an emergent property of attention. If we pay attention differently, then compassion will arise. And so the beginning of the core meditations is breathing. Um, it's actually settling our attention on the feeling of the breath as a means of coming back to the moment, coming back to ourselves. And what everybody pretty well notices very quickly is that it's not 700 breaths before their minds wander. It's two mm-hmm. or maybe three that we have a habit of distractedness. And so a big part of that training is what one of my teachers once called exercising the letting go muscle. We let go of a distraction gently and we return. We bring our attention back to the feeling of the breath. And, and this is a really good model because we're pretty well breathing all the time. Somebody actually recently told me after I wrote the book about a thing called email apnea. So apparently when we're checking email, we often stop breathing, but oh. uh, which is kind of alarming. But uh, <laughs> even apart from that, um, the breath is a vehicle that you know is with us. And so in a very ordinary way, just at work, if we're starting to get agitated or those around us are uh, you know, having a contentious meeting, we can come back to ourselves through settling our attention on the breath. So that's sort of the basic foundation. And then on top of that, we have meditations where we learn to let go of thoughts. We learn to see thoughts 
as thoughts. And if we have enough space, it's not that we have to reject the thoughts, but we also don't need to be swept up by them. Um, you know, we can pay attention in a way so that we really have a choice. And the same with emotions, which is another core meditation. Sometimes we don't, many times really, we don't even know what we're feeling. And before we know it, we've gone off to that computer and we've typed out the email and we've pressed send. Mm-hmm. And maybe two hours later we go, whoops, that was said mm-hmm. with some hostility, wasn't it? And so mm-hmm. being able to tune into our emotional landscape, to know what we're feeling, to have enough space from those emotions so that we have that sense of choice. We can go for it or maybe we want to wait a bit. Maybe we want to type out that email and not press send quite yet or, or whatever it might be. Um, And we have a meditation, a core meditation on walking, because that's an example of the kind of activity we do all the time pretty well, and yet we can be quite mindless. We're somewhere else, we're not paying attention, we're quite fixated on what we imagine is going to happen at the meeting once we get there, and and if we can learn to actually experience the transition to the meeting however we're moving, however we're um, getting there, then that, that becomes a really valuable time. And then the last of the core meditations is loving kindness or compassion, where we, we train a kind of flexibility of attention so that we can see ourselves and see others in a different way. So, for example, in looking at ourselves, maybe at the end of the day we have the habit of pretty well only remembering the mistakes we made and the things we did wrong and what we could have done better and um, we might spend a little airtime thinking of the good within us or, or the good we also did and wishing mm-hmm. ourselves well. And so it's, it's a big revamping of the way we pay attention. It is a big revamping of the way we pay attention, you know, and, you know, just to, just to play it back a little bit for those who might be taking this in for the first time, you know, these uh, five core meditations are a way, as you just said, Sharon, of training one's attention of, of bringing awareness and beginning to really develop the, the capacity for, for mindfulness. Um, and, and, and I loved what you first said about recognizing that a thought is just a thought versus maybe so often without that awareness, we tend to think our thoughts are our reality and that, that we have no choice. And so just that awareness that that was a thought I just had it may or may not be true. It may or may not be real. It's just a thought. You know, that gives you that objectivity and, and ultimately more choice. And then the other examples that you gave were also very powerful and, and important um, ideas. You know, the awareness of emotion. What am I feeling? How is that feeling living in me right now? And how is it uh, showing up, actually, in the way I'm moving in the world? That next one about movement, you know, rather than... Um, drive or walk to your next meeting thinking about what's going to happen there, what if you actually just stay present with the journey itself, with, with what what is happening in the moment as you're actually moving from one place to another? Um, that's a whole <laughs> big discussion in and of itself. And then the, the one you just mentioned about self-compassion, and instead of just noticing perhaps all the things that you did wrong, you know, actually bringing some attention to what went right or, or maybe self-forgiveness around uh, something that happened, you know, just letting it go. So I love what you said about using that letting it 
letting go muscle too. And I, I wanted to say that back, Sharon, kind of um, slowly because I think I think for people who are new to these ideas, uh, it's such a uh, Rachel Wold and I were talking in preparation for the show about how beautiful and how radical these ideas are uh, when you start to take them in for the first time. You know, what you said in the beginning, we can radically shift our relationship to everything, to the way we experience our own selves and our own lives. Um, I want to, to ask you, what happens when someone's practicing the kinds of meditation and awareness that you're talking about? What, are, what, do you, what does it look like? What's the difference between someone who is maybe and, and is working on this and maybe somebody who, who, who isn't at all? What might you see? Oh, I think you see a lot. Interestingly enough, sometimes people report that members of their family or their coworkers or their friends see it first. And, uh, you know, we can get awfully discouraged because we can have a big habit of self-judgment. But sometimes people say to me, you know, I was going to stop meditating because I wasn't sure anything was happening. And then my kids came to me and said, please don't stop. You're much better. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, and then, of course, eventually we do see it ourselves. And the place to look, we say, for any benefit meditation might be bringing is in our lives, not necessarily in that formal period when we're sitting down to do it or we're walking uh, in a dedicated way. But oh, that's really a good look point. at our lives. You know, how are we with ourselves when we make a mistake? How do we speak to ourselves in just the ways you so beautifully described? How much self-forgiveness is there? How quickly can we begin again? And so, in other words, how much resiliency do we have? Um, it's not that we won't make mistakes. It's not that our attention won't wander. But we have a much greater ability to begin again. How are we when we meet a stranger? You know, someone who doesn't particularly matter to us in the conventional ways. Are we really listening? Are we really paying attention? Or are we busy thinking about the 50 emails we need to send and everything we need to do. That's the kind of change that one sees in in presence, in listening, um, in the ability to begin again. Uh, Again, great language, the ability to begin again. How quickly can I begin again? That resiliency, um, you know, that experience of of your own resilience. And so I I want to um, ask you, and I'm I'm, I'm going to invite you after our next break to actually lead us in a meditation, Sharon, and I know um, that you have something planned for us. But before we do that, um, I'd love it if you could talk about um, the eight pillars for happiness in the workplace. We have a couple of minutes before we take a break, and I know that the pillars are balance, concentration, compassion, resilience, communication and connection, integrity, meaning, and open awareness. So we can think of these as pillars. We can't talk about all of them, but I'd love it if you could touch on concentration and especially in light of what you just said about um, how distracted we really are and how um, <laughs> how in past decades uh, multitasking has even been seen as a strength. Um, so let's talk for just a moment about um, about the consequences of multitasking maybe and, the, and what happens when you bring awareness to concentration. Well, the, I think one of the great myths of our time is that multitasking is the most effective, efficient, best way to get a lot done. But studies actually show that we have kind of fractured attention when we try to do that and that we're less efficient, we're getting less done well. 
um, and that it's not all that it's cooked up to be. And, and so uh, I kind of invented a term, which is just unitasking, uh, because there's something in the quality of attention where we can just settle. Mm-hmm. Many of us find that we're pretty distracted, that even if you're just trying to think something through, before you know it, you're gone, your attention goes to the past and goes to the future in some kind of anxiety-driven way. And it's not like useful planning or useful reflection. Uh, It's just a habit of mind, and we lose a lot of energy that way. So the practice of concentration is really like one of gathering. It's gathering all that energy back to us that in that return it does become available to us, and, and we experience a lot of strength in that way. Sharon, this gathering of energy back to yourself, you know, the, the benefits of unitasking, I like this, I'm going to use this, instead of multitasking, um, what a relief it must be as we start to understand that probably our preferred way of operating is, is the one that is uh, most effective and best for us and um, maybe the best way to, to bring our, our contribution forward, um, that, that power of concentration so I know we need to take a break right now um, Sharon and when we come back I would love for you to actually take us through um, a meditation and give us the experience of, um, of what you're talking about and maybe even um, we'll start off by having you explain just a little bit more about how to use the breath because I know that that's the starting point um, you're listening to Kate Ebner my guest today Sharon Salzberg and we're going to take a break and we'll be right back business community's first choice in internet talk radio voice america business network what does conscious leadership mean to you it unites organizations instead of dividing them by exploring commonly based business challenges it guarantees an increase in your bottom line tune in to minding our business creating a spiritual economy with your host nadine rogers Each week, we'll hear from business leaders and learn from their strategies. We'll talk about personal and organizational best practices that you can learn from, and we'll hear from you. Minding Our Business airs live Mondays at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, 
Back to today's program. Welcome back to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life. This is Kate, and my guest today is Sharon Salzberg. We're talking about how meditation can help you be happier at work today. Sharon is an amazing teacher and speaker. If you're interested in seeing her speak, I hope you'll go to SharonSalzberg.com and click on her calendar. Um, I'd like to read a quote from the chapter in your book on resilience. Uh, that, and, and I'll start, just, just jump right into it and then ask you to say a little bit more about this, Sharon. Um, that choice of response, once again, fosters resilience. So I'll say that again. That choice of a response fosters resilience. Remaining open to possibilities can give us the flexibility necessary to be happy at work. The idea that when we're mindful, we have an, a wider array of responses available to us in any situation is very, it's a big idea. Can you say a little bit more about that, Sharon? Sometimes people think of mindfulness as something very passive. And complacent, and I think the language that we use tends to promote that thought, even though it's very inaccurate. Um, We hear mindfulness defined as something like accepting things the way that they are or uh, being in the moment without judgment. And while all of that is a fair way of saying it, I think it implies a kind of passivity that is, is really not about mindfulness at all. Mindfulness is a very vital alive, open, and creative relationship to what we're experiencing uh, rather than just saying, oh, yeah, I'm going to accept this miserable thing, whatever it is, and sit here. And so um, what happens with mindfulness is that we experience some space. Uh, First of all, we see what we're feeling, what we're wanting, um, what's happening within us, and we also have a balanced relationship to that. One of my favorite illustrations of mindfulness uh, at one point was something I read in the New York Times. It was uh, many years ago. It was an article about a mindfulness pilot program in a fourth grade classroom in California. And um, they asked one of the kids, what is mindfulness? And he responded by saying, mindfulness means not hitting someone in the mouth. And I thought, that is a great definition of mindfulness. Because <laughs> what does it imply? It means knowing we're feeling angry when we start to feel angry, not after we've hit someone in the mouth or sent yeah. that email or whatever it is. So we're very in touch. We're aware. It also implies a certain balanced relationship to that irritation or anger. If we just fall into it and get swept away by it, we're going to probably hit a lot of people in the mouth. And at the same time, if we hate it and we fear it and we're trying to repress it and deny it, we get more and more and more tense and then we explode. So mindfulness allows us to recognize what we're feeling, have a balanced relationship to it, and then there's space. And in that space, we might consider, you know, I hit someone in the mouth last week, didn't work out that well. Mm-hmm. Are there other things I might do? Is there another way to express this that might actually more get me what I want? And so that's why we say it's, it's very tied to creativity and a sense of options and possibilities. Yes, I, I, I think that, that I think that that space gives us that choice, and that choice opens up new possibilities for us, and maybe takes us gives us the chance to move beyond our our habitual responses and our and patterns you know and this kind of um 
you know, this kind of spaciousness that comes from um, from being mindful seems also related to this pillar of balance, which is a lot of something that people talk about all the time in the work that I do, Sharon, is just craving a, a balance in their lives. How does meditation help people find balance? In the book, I actually am using uh, balance and mindfulness almost synonymously because balance is one of the, it's like the secret ingredient inside of mindfulness. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're not just paying attention to what's happening, we're relating in a certain way, which is interested, um, not all caught up in something, and also not rejecting it. And that's the space out of which we can learn where insight arises. And so, uh, you know, maybe we have certain habits of um, staying late or doing a certain thing, and we're not in touch enough with our bodies to realize, like, whoa, that really is exacerbating my tension a lot, or um, that's not providing the relief I thought it was, or maybe that, look at that, that really is is uh, helping me laugh and, and get a different sense of things or see things from a different perspective. So if we can just keep paying attention to our bodies, to our reactions, um, we learn a lot, and one of the great arenas uh, that we try to pay attention to is our motivation. It's like before a big phone call, before a meeting, before some encounter, we might just turn our attention to the question, what do I really want to see come out of this more than anything? Do I want to be helpful? Do I want to be harmful? Do I want to see a resolution? Do I want to be triumphant? Um And if we can use our mindfulness and pay attention in that way, then a course of action will probably be much clearer to us. Thank you for that. That's that's um, very um, well put and and food for thought. Um, I want to talk about one more pillar, and I would love to talk about all eight, but time is of the essence. So we wanted to, to talk a little bit, hear you talk about the pillar of compassion and how practicing compassion in the workplace can help us be happier and get along with our colleagues better. And then I'm hoping that maybe you could um, share with us the mindfulness exercise that you have put into your book about how to cultivate compassion. Um, first, let's just take the question, how can, helping, how can practicing compassion at work help us be happier? I think that cultivating compassion anywhere can help us be happier. And because the workplace may be one that involves very intricate relationships and power dynamics and so on, it's, it's an especially rich arena. Um, after, again, after the book came out, uh, I was teaching a workshop somewhere and somebody came to me and she said, you know, my boss this whole last week has just been like a tyrant and very different from how she normally is and She's been so critical, and she's been unjust and unfair, and it was only sitting here meditating that it occurred to me, maybe she's got something going on in her life. Maybe she's got some trouble. She's got some pressures that I don't know about, and it just changed my perspective. So I said to her, "Um, do you have the kind of relationship with your boss that you might be able to ask? And she said, oh, definitely, I could ask. But I thought that transition... Uh, to, you know, from seeing this person just as a role to seeing them as a human being with all the complexities Mm -hmm. and vulnerabilities and the truth of a life, whatever that might be, 
uh, was a very important one. One of the exercises that we encourage um, is just simply remembering everybody wants to be happy. We might have all different definitions of what happiness is and likely have different definitions of where happiness is to be found, but, you know, everybody actually wants some sense of, of connection, usually more profound than the one that we actually have. Mm. Yes. You know, um, that seems to lead beautifully into the compassion exercise called Seeing the Good. Would you share that with us? Sure. Um, these are uh, kinds of reflections that we do, having having built some base of stability, perhaps, in our attention. We then work with flexibility in our attention so that we develop a kind of fluid intelligence. So here's that meditation, seeing the good. Even though our tendency might be to remember the things we've done wrong, the mistakes we've made, and the things we regret, we can consciously shift our attention to include the good within ourselves. We can also do this when we look at others. After a day at work, we might recall the late delivery, the disappointing report, the ambiguous commentary. This is not an exercise meant to deny that anything is wrong or regrettable. But if we look at somebody and we think only about the mistakes they have made, then a tremendous sense of self and other and us and them can be reinforced. Whereas if we include even one good thing, if we can think of it, then a bridge is built. So that when we honestly and directly look at what's difficult, it's more from a stance of being side by side, rather than across this huge gulf of seeming separation. Seat yourself in a relaxed, easy posture, however you feel comfortable, and think of one good thing you did yesterday. It may not have been very big or grandiose. Maybe you smiled at somebody. Maybe you were starting to get annoyed at a slow shop clerk, but you let go of your irritation. Remember that it's not conceited or arrogant to consider what you've done right. It's replenishing to delight in the good things that move through us. Sit with the recollection of what you did right. If you can think of something good, that you, if you can't think of something good that you did, that's okay. Sitting down to do this meditation is a way of befriending ourselves and a willingness to expand our awareness, step out of some ruts, and try something new. Did you want me to go on? I can't remember. Yeah, go ahead. Okay. Next, think of a benefactor, someone who's helped you maybe a mentor at work or an inspiring figure, even if you've never met them. Their good qualities might come in a rush. You can appreciate that about them, those aspects, those efforts, those acts of kindness. Think of a good friend and all that's good within that person and how much you appreciate that goodness. Think of someone you know who's having a difficult time right now. Focus on the good within them. 
maybe the times they've reached out to help others, or their own potential sources of strength. You can see that this person is not just their problem, but something bigger. Think of someone you have a little bit of difficulty with, some conflict, distress. See if you can find some good reflected in things they've done, choices they've made. And if not, you can switch to another reflection. Remember that just like each one of us, they want to be happy. Everybody wants the same sense of belonging, feeling at home in this body, this mind, this life. But ignorance is a very strong force. We all have strong habits that lead us far away from happiness sometimes. Thank you very much, Sharon. That's a great spot maybe for us to end and take our next break. Um, We're going to take this break. And for those of you who are listening, I hope you had a chance to relax and follow Sharon as she guided us in that meditation. Um, You know, her new book, Real Happiness at Work, is full of these meditations and this kind of calm and straightforward, very easy to follow voice that is your voice, Sharon. So thank you so much for that. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Do you want to take your organization to the next level? The Nebo Company develops leaders, teams, and organizations to achieve their highest potential. We provide executive and team coaching, leadership courses, mentor programs, and retreats tailored to the unique goals of your organization's leaders. With national reach, Nebo specializes in helping senior leaders to articulate a compelling vision, then develop the strategy, goals, and accountabilities that make the vision real. For more information, visit NeboCompany.com. Be sure to ask about our leadership and life curriculum. Again, that's NeboCompany.com. It's time to take charge of your own career path. But how do you get started? First, tune in to The Career Confidant with Marie Zimanoff. Each show will feature national business leaders, tips and insight from Marie and her guests, career management tools, and a weekly career smart tip. She'll help you move forward, earn that promotion, get hired into the career you want, and brand yourself. The Career Confidant is broadcast live every Monday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. We're always talking business. Talk to an expert. Call now. Toll free. 866-472-5790. That's 866-472-5790. Voice America Business Network. You're listening to Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life with host Kate Ebner. We'd love to hear from you. Pick up your phone and call into 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. If you'd rather send an email, please send it to visionaryleader at nebocompany.com. Now, back to today's program. Welcome back once again to this conversation with Sharon Salzberg, who's a meditation teacher, speaker, and co-founder of the Insight Meditation Society. Uh, Sharon, that was a beautiful meditation that you let us in um, before we just took that break. And um, it's amazing how quiet 
I felt as I was listening to you guide us there. I'm curious, you know, let's say um, a professional person reads your book and wants to introduce meditation practices into their workplace. Um, what orga- can organizations do to promote mindfulness or to bring meditation right into the workplace? I think one person can have a very big effect, actually. Um, I did this pilot program for domestic violence shelter workers and then shelter supervisors and directors through a place called the Garrison Institute. And uh, one thing, a phrase that the the women themselves came up with was uh, the wish to establish a culture of wellness at their workplace. And for each group, that meant something different for some people. Um, it was the realization that their reach was going to be their body and mind and their desk and not much more. And for others, there was a more collective uh, kind of possibility for making a difference. I think that um, fostering a climate where people can, if they wish, pursue uh, these techniques and even communicate about them, I think is a, is a wonderful thing. And, and having a a climate where taking care of yourself and, and realizing you need replenishing and you need some sense of balance is, you know, that's appropriate. That's useful and skillful. One of the women uh, from one of the shelters said her big commitment in terms of establishing a culture of wellness was to take a lunch break. And everyone in the room who did not work at a shelter was kind of aghast and said, you don't take a lunch break? Aren't you entitled to one? And she said, yes. There's always so much to do, and it's overwhelming, and the need is so great. So that was her commitment, was to take a lunch break. And and so she would come back as we were meeting periodically, and she'd report. And one week she came in, and she said, it didn't really work. She said, I I closed the door. I locked the door. Somebody bent down and looked through the keyhole, and so I was in there. (laughs) So I didn't get to do it. And then she came back maybe two weeks later, and she said, it worked. I shut the door, and I turned off the light, and I actually got a break. You know, and, and that, was, that was magnificent. It's not selfish. It's not wrong. Um, we actually get more done when we have some greater sense of inner wherewithal uh, to meet everything we need to meet. Well, I, 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 I think you're right about that, and that's, again, something that the science and the research is really showing, that that taking the break, you know, taking time to do the things that um, help you stay resilient and help you stay well actually makes a huge difference in terms of productivity and health and attitude and all kinds of things. So I'm, I'm, I like your example, and what I'm hearing you say is that organizations can, um, can actually create an environment where self-care is encouraged and where um, when somebody does take care of themselves with a break or taking lunch or taking a walk or maybe connecting with somebody, um, you know, uh, who's in, also in the organization, understanding that that's, that's all part of um, this sort of mindfulness at work commitment. Um, I wonder, Sharon, you know, like listening to you, I, I have um, had your voice in my ears for a long time. Uh, I've listened to your Insight Meditation CDs and I've introduced them to many of my coaching clients who are craving an experience with meditation and not really sure where to start. And I'm curious, you know, 
how can our listeners stay connected with you and learn more about your work? Do you have apps where they can listen to your voice? Tell us more about how we can take you with us. Well, thank you. I have a website, which is SharonSalzberg.com, and there are lots of links on there to books and CDs and, and downloads. I don't have an app of my own at the moment, but um, I do have guided meditations on uh, apps like Insight Timer, which I think is a wonderful product where uh, you get to choose the sound you would like to have end your meditation period, and then you, mm-hmm. you select the time, and, and there are some guided meditations on there as well. What is the name of that one again? It's Insight Timer. Insight Timer. Very nice. What's your favorite sound to end your meditation with? Oh, it's, it's the sound of a gong, which brings oh. me back to Burma or India and my, my past, my history. Nice. That's really great. Um, good. Well, I, I know that um, we'll be wanting to, to do more uh, with what you're talking about. And, you know, is there any advice that you can give give our listeners just in terms of maybe there's somebody out there who's never really done this and just wants to get started? What's a good first step? I think if you establish uh, even the beginnings of a meditation practice at home, then you will find that it's something you're carrying with you. So, that could be five minutes, honestly, and set an alarm or, or use an app or, you know, get some way of ending it so you don't have to constantly look at your watch and uh, be comfortable, be at ease, and remember that uh, the whole core of the meditation is about relationships. So you're not trying to stop thinking or stop your feelings from coming up, but to learn to be different with them, and, and absolutely anyone can do it. You know, one of the things I've always appreciated about um, practicing mindfulness and and also meditation is that, you know, um, like you just said, whether it's five minutes or 20 minutes, you know, anybody can do it. You can do it anywhere. And, you know, I've even noticed that it's something you can do without other people even really realizing that you're doing it. Yeah, <laughs> so that's you're, so beautiful. <laughs> you know, and at work, I sometimes think about that when I'm doing uh, coaching my clients is helping them find kind of pause practices or meditation moments in their day that if you were walking by their office, you might look in and not think anything was unusual going on, but actually they're, they're practicing a moment of meditation. Um, do, does that ring true from your experience of meditation at work that it can be done at oh, work? Oh, absolutely. Um, definitely. And, and that's one of the things I've always loved about meditation. It's so private. It's so free of, you know, needing equipment and setting. And um, especially if you're using something like the feeling of your breath as the tool to anchor, then there you are at work and there's a contentious meeting and tempers are starting to flare and everyone's getting agitated. All you need to do is breathe. And no one even needs to know you're doing it. Uh, I love that. I love that. Just using your breath, using your breath. Well, I think that if you're thinking about starting, then definitely go and um, tap into more of Sharon's great work. And uh, Sharon, I want to say thank you so much for joining me in this hour and for sharing uh, from your new book and reading with us uh, that meditation. It's an honor and um, an inspiration to have you on the show. Thank you. Well, thank you so much. We sincerely hope you've enjoyed hearing from leaders who are using vision to create an inspiring future. 
Please join host Kate Ebner for another edition of Visionary Leader Extraordinary Life next Monday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Business Channel. Meanwhile, visit www.nebocompany.com for more tips on bringing your own vision to life.